Hey, thanks for tuning in to the latest sermon. We pray that it challenges you, blesses you, and ultimately that it would stir your heart's affection for Jesus. Enjoy. Let me pray before we come into the message this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that in your scriptures you promise us that you have, you have made us a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, that each one of us is a temple that carries your presence. And when we come together, we are the living stones that form the spiritual temple where God most high dwells. And so all across the world, uh, there are people gathering together and you dwell in their midst. And so we are so grateful that this is not simply a, a club of like-minded people, but this is a spiritual temple, a dwelling place of the Lord Most High, because you have made a way for this to occur by your Holy Spirit. And so we asked this morning that the words of Scripture and the words of Jesus would ring loudly and clearly for us. We ask that anything that would hinder or block the voice of the Lord Jesus today would be not permitted in this place, but that we would receive all, all that we are meant to receive today. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk a little bit this morning to start about persistence and perseverance. And one of the things that I've started to notice about my kids that I'm really proud of is that they, they have this persistence and this perseverance. So I, know, I first noticed it in Ryan last year when we were at Forget Me Not Pond, and uh, there's Elbow River that goes by there. And all the kids were trying to cross Elbow River, and it was cold, and as you got further across, it got a little bit deeper and a little bit colder, and the rocks were kind of slippery, and, and they moved under your feet. So the kids would make it like three quarters of the way across, and then they'd come back. Uh, but they really wanted to get to the other side, and they kept trying and trying, and they they're getting colder and colder. And uh, finally, I said to Ryan, like, well, why don't we just try again another time? Why don't we, like, take a break and warm up? And he's like, no, I will cross this river. I will do this. And he did. It took him a few more tries, but he had this persistence to do it. And I think of Ava, uh, who uh, she wanted to do a handstand, uh, like just a free kind of folding handstand, which I don't even know how you do that. And she practiced and practiced until she could do it. And I'm just so proud of my kids who can do that. I was trying to think about Connor. I mean, he's not in the service, so I don't need to say anything. I was like, what about Connor persistence? The only thing that came to mind is when Ryan's wrestling with his friends on the trampoline, Connor, who is four years younger, holds his own because he's terrifying to be around in a wrestling match. He just goes for the face. Um, he doesn't quit. Uh, if you hurt him, he just comes back stronger. He's like a little badger. Uh, so that's persistence. And just one final thing. So we're talking about persistence. Um, the Freedom 8848 guys and girls were out this week uh, doing their climb. Some of them did nine mountains in three days. Some did six mountains in three days. Uh, and others did one. Yeah, isn't that awesome? Most of them aren't here today, but I'm sure they appreciate it. And just as an update, um, one of the hardest things is not only climbing the mountains, but raising money for these organizations. It's hard to ask people for money. And that's what each one of these athletes do, is they're raising money for International Justice Mission and Next Steps Ministries. And uh, we'll get the final number, but I think the last time I looked, it was around $98,000 raised for Next Steps and International Justice Mission. So that's awesome. That's about nine of our people who are actually climbing, and then, of course, people in our church who started the whole, the whole event. So, I mean, just awesome, that persistence and that perseverance. 
But I love to see persistence and perseverance in people, and especially in my kids, because we know that when people persevere through things, they tend to find success, not because they get lucky, not because they're more talented, but because they set their mind on a goal and push through every obstacle until they can accomplish their goal. If you ever read the Malcolm Gladwell book, I can't remember it off the top of my head, it's not in my notes, but he talks about this, where you when you have people who persist and persist and persist and they get to a certain tipping point where they put in enough hours and they've gone through enough obstacles that finally success happens. Not because they're really lucky or really talented, but more because they persevered, they persisted. But what's interesting to me is that when it comes to our spiritual lives, and maybe it's just me, but I I hope it's not because I'm talking to a lot of you, we're not as persistent in growing in Christ-likeness. So we're not as diligent in pursuing the goal of walking in step with the Holy Spirit and doing the work that we are created anew in Christ to do as maybe we could be. Not that we don't do it at all, but I, I find like when I talk to people, like a lot of times the first thing on their mind is career goals, right? Or maybe it's like we're saving up to do this thing as a family or we're, we're trying to get this thing or we're trying to pursue that thing. And they can be really persistent in those things. Uh, but when it comes to spiritual life, there's a lot of people I think who... Again, our eyes just get taken a little bit off of Jesus. Not totally, but we start to get kind of consumed with other things. But the Apostle Paul challenges us. And he challenges us not to sit back and float along in our faith, but to grab hold of faith and run the race of faith with every ounce of effort and strength that we can muster. Paul talks about training ourselves for godliness. He writes to Timothy, his his young protege. He says, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value in all things, holding promise both the present, for the, both the present life and the life to come. And Paul writes in our, our verse today, Philippians chapter 3, uh, verse 14, he says, I press on to reach the end of the race and to receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. And when Paul talks about running the race of faith, and there's other places where he talks about that, when he talks about training for godliness It's sort of challenging this idea that we can just sit back and kind of float along in our faith. You know, making it to church on occasion when it's convenient or, you know, doing the bare minimum of of effort. But these practices don't lead to abundant life. We're encouraged to imitate Paul who imitates Christ and Paul shows us this life of, of continually pressing onwards, comparing his life of faith to a race which we run. As Paul says in another place, Run in such a way as to get the prize in 1 Corinthians. Run in such a way as to get the prize. And what do you have to do if you want to get the prize in a race? You've got to run hard. You've got to go all out. You can't leave anything behind. You can't kind of half-hearted jog the race. He's like, if you want to get the prize, run it. All in. As fast as you can. Leave nothing behind. That's what a good coach will say. Like, you do 45 seconds of a hockey shift, and you might go, why do I only get 45 seconds? And your coach, if he's a good coach, will say, because after 45 seconds of playing your hardest, you should be exhausted. Because you've given it all. And that's what I get when Paul talks about running the race, training for godliness. I'm giving it my all. Every ounce of me. It's kind of like that idea of loving the Lord your God with all your strength. I'm giving it everything I've got. So Paul's saying, in other words, go hard, don't quit, don't start coasting, go all out and be all in. Now the immediate pushback that maybe it's just in my mind, but immediately I kind of push back on this. Whenever we talk about making an effort or running a race or doing anything with any amount of effort spiritually, is that there's always this idea, well, wait, we're not saved by the works that we do, we're saved by grace alone. Well, and certainly this is true. We're not saved by the things that we do or the spiritual habits that we embrace, 
But the goal of the Christian life is not simply salvation. It is actually to live right here and right now in the fullness of life that Jesus has secured for us. When he made us a new creation by the forgiveness of our sin, by our union with him, and by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that's, I think, maybe the, the push is that sometimes we're like, okay, well, like, I'm in. I'm, I'm in. I've, got, I'm, I've arrived. I'm saved. Now I can kind of do what I want. And then I get to go to heaven when I die. It's a win-win. And I mean, there's a little bit of truth in that, but really what scripture is saying is now that you're a new creation in Christ, now that you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, there are things God has created you anew to do in Christ Jesus. There are spiritual gifts that he has given you to serve the body and to proclaim the gospel. Your life is not your own. I think that's what Paul is getting at when he talks about running the race well. And so if we want to to walk and step with the Spirit, if we want to do the work we are created anew in Christ to do, if we want to use the gifts that we've been given by the Holy Spirit, and if we want to live in the abundant life that Jesus offers, there is actually a requirement of some effort. To quote Dallas Willard, he said, grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. And so we are not in our effort to be more like Jesus, earning God's grace in any way, but we are uniting with the Holy Spirit in working out our salvation to be made more like Christ, which is the goal of the Christian life on this earth, is to be made more like Christ. We are not going to arrive, but it's still the goal. Now, the major hindrance to becoming more and more like Jesus is if we start to focus on things besides Jesus, or if we add things to our faith that Jesus does not ask us to add. And this is maybe where that pushback to the idea of of effort comes from, is that we are really careful that we don't want to add legalism to the gospel. So we're kind of walking this razor's edge here, this really fine line of saying, if you want abundant life in Christ, if you want to do the work you're created new in Christ to do, it requires some effort, absolutely. But what is that effort? Because so often when someone says, you need to do more effort, they start adding things to the gospel. Good Christians do this, 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 and this. Good Christians look like this, this, and this. Ooh, well, we don't want to do that. So we're walking this really fine line. But at the same time, we're all aware that, that we need to pursue Jesus. And Paul, if, if we come into Philippians chapter 3, he's not wanting to add legalism to the gospel. Jesus and Jesus alone is always Paul's message. When Paul begins this section in Philippians chapter 3, he's calling the church in Philippi to rejoice to the Lord. He begins in verse 1 of chapter 3, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again and again. It is a safeguard for your faith. And as we continue in Paul's words in in this section, Philippians chapter 3, you're going to see why Paul is reminding them to rejoice in the Lord. He's going to say everything that you have, all the joy you have found, is found only in Jesus and in what Jesus has done for you. If you look to anything else, you could be led astray. And so Paul's next words are addressing an issue that that plagued most of his churches. You might be aware that whenever Paul went to a church, and he he really had a ministry to the Gentiles, right? And so a lot of Gentiles, non-Jewish people would come into the faith. But what would happen is there was another group of people that seemed to almost be following Paul around. And anytime Gentiles came to the faith, this other group of people would come in behind Paul who would teach that following Jesus is not enough. You need to add to your faith in Jesus certain elements of the Jewish law. So Paul goes on in verse 2. He actually gets a little bit harsh here. He says, watch out for those dogs. 
those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Put no confidence in human effort is what he's saying. So one of the pitfalls to living the abundant life in Christ and and in pressing on to win the race is when we start to rely on external indicators of religious duty to prove our faithfulness while neglecting the true matters of the heart. This is the temptation all the time. Whenever we talk about effort, whenever we talk about running the race well, there's always this bent towards going, okay, so what does that look like? You gotta come to church every single week. You gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do this. We start adding things. And we actually start to neglect the true hard things to work on, the matters of the heart. So Paul encourages everyone, himself included, to keep moving forwards. He writes this later on in the chapter. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things, that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. But let's just, what is Paul trying to correct here? What is he trying to safeguard against? Because that's really what he starts with. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I keep telling you this to safeguard your faith. Well, it's because of these people he calls dogs, these mutilators of the flesh. There's this very vocal group of believers who insist that adherence to the Jewish laws are the external indicators that must be done to secure your faith in Jesus. And Paul contradicts them strongly. He's saying, we need to rejoice in the Lord. And you need to watch out for people that are going to to keep us away from focusing on Jesus. He calls those people dogs. That's a really harsh term, to call someone a dog. It's like saying they're the scum of the earth. I mean, a lot of dogs in that time were scavengers. Right, And they're just kind of living on the streets and, and stealing what they can and taking what they can. Like, dogs aren't seen of as like pets as much as, they did have dogs as pets, but not as much as today, right? And so Paul's saying, you know, there's this group of believers who, who've also embraced all of the Jewish law, especially circumcision for men. And eventually what happened is their eyes were taken off Jesus and back onto the law. And Paul's saying that is so dangerous because they're going backwards If you read Galatians, that's where he's going to come in really strong and he's going to say they put themselves back under the curse because they've rejected the work of Christ and now they're saying the law is what saves us. So not only does he call them dogs, he also says they're doing evil. Why is he saying that they're doing evil? It's because they're taking the focus off of God and what he has done and putting it on themselves. They're putting confidence in their own flesh and their own abilities. And Paul goes on to call those people who, who put confidence in their flesh as those who mutilate the flesh. What some people were doing in Paul's time, uh, the group that was kind of following him around, is they were taking the, the circumcision and they were turning it into some type of work that earned them righteousness. They thought, you know, if I do this, then I'll gain favor with God. Or they, they, they were being taught by these people that your salvation is not secure in Christ. You also must follow all the law, especially circumcision, this outward symbol of who I belong to. And again, I can see how this would happen, right? Imagine you're a Gentile. And, and Jesus has radically changed your life. The Holy Spirit has filled you and indwelt you completely. And then another group of people come by after Paul and they look really faithful. They are, they are men of faith. And they say, Jesus is great. But you know what you're missing is the law. Here's what you're missing. Go and get circumcised. Then, then it'll prove your devotion. And you would go, wow, these are learned men who know the right way to do things. And I do want to prove my faithfulness to Jesus. okay. I'll do the law. And Paul says, ooh, that's dangerous. Because now the focus has shifted from Jesus to the law. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. 
And Paul says we are going to obey God's law, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way by the power of the Spirit. And so Paul is so worried because he's like, they're going to they're gonna be led astray. They're going to put themselves back under the curse. And that's why he says they're doing evil. He calls them dogs. He says, stay away from them. Don't call them good people. They're trying to keep you away from trusting in the promises of God and his goodness, his forgiveness, and his grace based on faith alone. And so the word for us is to beware of anyone who would say Jesus alone is not enough to secure your righteousness or your salvation, or they add other conditions to your faith that, that secures you your salvation. Because Paul's going to go on to say in, in verse 9, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I, became, I become righteous through faith in Christ. God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. So I'm bringing all this up because I know we're walking a fine line. You got to put some effort in. Don't go down the road of legalism. Yeah. We got to walk this really fine line. And, and here's the good news. Here's the gospel in verse 9. We don't depend on our righteousness or our goodness. We receive righteousness through Christ by faith. We become righteous through faith. Nothing we do makes us righteous except for faith in Jesus. So just before he, he writes this good news gospel statement, Paul kind of goes back and he says, you know, as a good Jewish man, I have license to brag. If Paul believed that all the extra laws and works were necessary to have faith in Jesus or to have salvation, he says, I would have had it. He writes this about himself. He says, I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. So Paul's saying, hey, if anyone could earn their own righteousness, if anyone could be saved by the law, Paul's not doing a false brag here. He's saying, I tried my hardest. I took it seriously. I was all in and all out. And Paul would be the most likely candidate for someone to be saved. But then he continues on and he says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Because Christ is the fulfillment of the law. And in Christ, you will find righteousness not on your own ability to be righteousness, righteous, but because Christ gives you his righteousness. And so when we talk about effort and pursuit, what we're talking about is spending time with Jesus, sitting at his feet, letting your roots grow down deep into his love so that you'll produce spiritual fruit. So Paul's telling us you can't rely on the external indicators of religion to prove righteousness. And you can't rely on your past behavior to prove righteousness. None of those things matter if you don't tr truly know Jesus. The problem with external religious indicators is they can mislead people and they completely miss Jesus and do all the religious things perfectly. 
So maybe you've got a church culture or maybe you come from a church culture where there are really strongly enforced man-made rules, right? Something like men wear pants to church on Sundays, women never wear pants, they gotta wear skirts, um, no smoking, no drinking, no playing cards, no going to the movies, be at church on Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, right? Whatever rules that you can make to say this is what it looks like to be a faithful Christian, maybe you came from that church culture. And, and if you followed all those rules and all those expectations, all those external indicators of religious faith, nobody questions you. They go, look at this upstanding person. But a person could be in that environment following all those rules and believe that because they follow these man-made external religious rules, that, that they've earned something. That they've earned righteousness or earned salvation. Or that they're, or a, lot, a lot of times what either happens is this. When you're in that type of environment, you either get very self-righteous, look at how great I am, or you become crushed with the weight of the burden. I can't do it. I'm never going to measure up. Maybe I don't belong here. Maybe Jesus doesn't want me. I can't do what he wants me to do. But the, the truth is, Jesus isn't asking you to do any of that. And so in that type of environment, you can have people who can follow all the church rules, all the external religious indicators, and they might be the most miserable or the meanest person you've ever met because the fruit of the Spirit isn't being produced. Because their trust is in man-made law, not in Christ. And that's why Paul says, beware of anyone who would take your eyes off of Jesus. Beware of anyone who would add anything to the gospel. Because it's going to lead you astray. Now, as I say all this, I do believe that there are things that we should do. And there are things that we should avoid. That are beneficial for us to do or beneficial for us to avoid as believers. But I don't put them at the same level as faith in Jesus. Let me give you an example. If I was to say in this sermon on effort, if you want to put in a good effort to follow Jesus, you should commit to reading your Bible 15 minutes a day. I could say something like, all believers should read their Bible 15 minutes a day. And most of you go, well, that sounds reasonable. It's only 15 minutes. That's a very small amount of time. And you might all agree with me, but here, here's a little bit of the problem with that. I know some people who have dyslexia. And for them to read the Bible is really, really hard. I know people who have ADHD who are like, yeah, I read, but I don't retain a word. Like, it basically goes in one ear and out the other. I don't, I don't have a clue what I'm reading. But if I was to say all good Christians read the Bible 15 minutes a day, I'd probably have 95% of you going, absolutely, preach it. And I'd have 5% of you going, I can't, can't do it. Am I deficient? I don't measure up? So I can't do that. Instead, what I can say is this. If you are able... You should read scripture regularly. It's good for you. If you've got reading troubles, well, be part of a small group. Or make sure you get to church so you have places where you're still immersed in the word. But I'm not going to make a law about it. I'm just going to suggest that Jesus meets you in his word. And that however it is possible for you, make space for Jesus to meet you in the word of God. I'm not going to make a law about it. And that's a crucial thing for me to say because as we proceed in the letter here, we're going to see that Paul, again, is equating the Christian life to a race. It requires diligence and training and persistence and spiritual practices that build us up. If we want abundant life in Jesus, we have to press on. We have to learn his ways, hear his voice, and it requires some effort on our part to do this, to meet with Jesus, to study his words, to hear his voice. There needs to be some intentionality about our lives. I talked about that in the first sermon on this, right? Be intentional, intentional about the way you live your life. And then the second part of it is be intentional 
about the way you meet with Jesus. Again, I'm not gonna give you the law. Here's what you must do. Here's what good Christians do. But I am gonna say, if you want abundant life in Christ, make space to hear from the voice of Jesus. So although we're not saved by doing spiritual things, we recognize we'll have a weak and atrophied faith if we do nothing to grow spiritually. And so there's this balance we are having. And so I believe the most important thing is to have the right mindset towards spiritual practices like prayer, scripture reading, fasting, church attendance, and serving one another. It's to remember that we are doing these things to increase our knowledge of Jesus and to build our relationship with him. We don't do it to earn anything. We do it because we're children of God who desire to know their father better. We're servants of the king who are invited to be his friends. And the relationship Jesus wants with us is deeply formed in spiritual practices and habits. We're not going to reach perfection in these things in our lifetime. But the Apostle Paul encourages us to keep pressing on in Christ. Keep growing, keep learning, keep doing the faithful things. We see that Paul just yearns for closeness with Jesus. And that's really what I mean by effort. Can you just yearn for closeness with Jesus? That's what Paul's yearning for. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. This is the effort we need. It's that desire to, to receive Christ. It's that desire to experience the mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. And then he goes on, I want to suffer with him. That's incredible words. Paul wants us, his life, to imitate the life of Jesus. So he keeps pursuing, he stays faithful, he serves and he even suffers, not because his work earns him salvation, but because all of these things make him look and act more like Jesus. And as he looks and acts more like Jesus, the power that raised Christ from the dead is more present in him. So if we wanna know Christ and the mighty power that raised him from the dead, there has to be this effort of pursuing Jesus, of pressing in, of making him our all. Paul's a man, I mean, obviously he prays regularly. He follows the leading of the Holy Spirit. He proclaims the gospel in word and in Holy Spirit power everywhere he goes. He's a man willing to be shipwrecked and beaten and imprisoned to do what he knows Jesus has called him to do. And yet even he will say, in spite of all these amazing things that Paul's done, he's gonna say he's not finished. He's not perfect. I've already read it, but I'll read it again. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. So as we come to the, the back part of this, this message, the question is, how do we keep pressing on in Christ? What are the things that are helpful to us in our journey of being more like Jesus? Well, first of all, Paul says we forget the past and we look forward to what lies ahead. And there's two things we need to forget when Paul says we forget the past. We need to forget our past achievements and we need to forget our past mistakes. And when I say forget, and when Paul says forget, the meaning is not that we, it's not that we like totally dismiss it and say, well, that was worth nothing. It means we don't stay there. We don't stay in the shame of past mistakes and we don't stay in the victory of past victories. <laughs> we have to keep moving forward. Matt Chandler puts it like this on the, on the uh, victories. He says, we, have, we all have victories in our past. Times when we overcame something or trying or depressing. And throughout the Christian life, we experience various wins. Those wins can be beautiful reminders of God's provision, of God's power. But they can also make us smug and lazy if we try to rest in those victories. 
Right, that's when you know floating along. We go, well, I was saved, I have this great testimony of, of salvation, I was baptized, I, you know, and we kind of stay there. And we forget that now Christ is saying, okay, I've, I've indwelt you by my spirit and I've created you anew, keep moving forward. And so this doesn't mean you can't celebrate the things God has done in your past. In fact, you have to celebrate and remember and thank God for what he's done in your past. You celebrate the work he has done. Remember your baptism. Remember your profession of faith. Remember the time God used you to bring the gospel to someone. You prayed and someone was healed. Remember those victories, but don't stay there. As a Rob Reamer uh, would say, always grateful, never satisfied. There's always more. And we also cannot let past sin or past mistake hold us back from pursuing Jesus wholeheartedly. Matt Chandler puts it like this. He says, we need to be careful not to let today's pursuit of Jesus be affected by something dark behind us, be it sin or struggle. If it was something bad that we did or something bad that was done to us, we need to take it captive to the obedience of Christ and not let it keep us from seeking him. It is so natural and so easy to get bogged down in the idea that what we've done or what we've been through is simply too much for grace to overcome and we declare ourselves untouchable, unreachable, or unhealable. Remember Paul's words, forget what is behind. I want to talk about when it's something bad we've done. I think we can often let the shame of our past rule and ruin us. And I think there's probably people who are called to be leaders in our churches today who aren't leading as they should or as they could because their past shame is keeping them bound. And so here's where we need to believe the gospel, that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you believe that to be true? Then don't let your past sin and shame bind you. Move forward in the victory Christ has won for you. Paul doesn't forget his past, but he doesn't let it define him. He writes this to Timothy. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I love how Paul looks at his past life of sin and rebellion. And understanding the full forgiveness of Jesus, he takes that remembrance of past sin and he turns it to be a a moment of thanksgiving to Jesus who not only forgave him, but this is a key, made him a new creation and set him free from slavery to sin. And so we can actually do that with past sin, that, that stuff that keeps us in shame. And we can say to the enemy of our souls who wants to whisper to us, see what you did, this is why you were not qualified. And we can say, I'm not qualified, but Jesus has made me qualified. Jesus has secured righteousness in his blood. And we're not talking a cheap grace here. We're talking about a true godly sorrow and repentance. And then we recognize God's power of forgiveness, working in us to remove sinful desires and replace them with godly fruit. So like anything in life, we need to find pathways to grow into the abundant life in Christ. The Apostle Paul, as, as we've seen, often uses that analogy of athletes in training, encouraging believers to keep growing in spiritual maturity. There's one other place where he talks about this in Corinth, where he says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? And then here's where I quote, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. And so Paul's just challenging us to recognize there's no autopilot mode for the Christian life. I go into autopilot. I know what to do. I go to church. I preach some sermons. You know, I I do my Christian duty. 
That's Christianity on autopilot. And Paul's saying, but you want to run like you're, you're winning the race. You discipline your body. You go all out. If we're not diligently fixing our eyes on Jesus, then the tendency of our flesh and our heart is to fixate on the things of this world. And so I want to make a distinction here. When I talk about working towards godliness, training for godliness, we're not, again, talking about earning God's approval. What we're really talking about is simply discipleship. What does Jesus say? If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And we're all disciples of Jesus. Jesus is our rabbi. He's our teacher. We train under him using the scriptures and prayer and the leading of the Holy Spirit and the worship of the church community. And we do this not to gain his approval, but because he said, you are my disciples. And therefore, we are just doing what good disciples do who are honored to study at the feet of the master teacher. We diligently apply ourselves to his teachings and obey them. Spiritual practices develop our hearts and minds so that we can more clearly hear the voice of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we're in step with the Spirit, we live in the way we are always created in Christ to live. I'm going to call the worship team up, and I just want us to close. I just want to close by asking us to reflect on our spiritual practices and disciplines. Again, I don't want to make a law about it. I don't want to make this into a legalism. Did you know even spiritual practices and habits can become legalistic? Right? Every good Christian does a fast. Every good Christian does a retreat. Those are all great things. But everything has a tendency to become, uh, you must, you must, you must. And Jesus is really open and invitational. He's saying, come and see. Come to the table and meet with me. And so I just want to ask you, do you, this is one of those conviction places just assess yourself and ask yourself, what are the practices in my life that draw my heart and mind closer to Jesus? Am I doing these spiritual things which renew my mind and heart to the presence of Jesus? Again, everyone's different. Some people are like, you know what really draws me close to Jesus? I love reading commentaries. Okay, weird, but you do what you do, you know? I, don't, I read lots of commentaries. I don't love all of them. But some people love it. They're like, that's how I get close to Jesus. Others go, you know what really gets me close to Jesus? I go out and I hike in the mountains and I talk about God with my, my fellow hikers. And that just fills my soul. Other people go, you know how I get close to Jesus? I paint. I go into a room and I paint and I worship God and I paint and I listen to worship music. Other people say, I, I write songs on guitar and they're not very good and I can't sing very well, but that's how I worship. So all I'm asking you to do is assess, are you engaging in spiritual practices which you know will build your relationship with Christ that will grow your roots down into the soil of God's love? that will allow you to experience the presence of Jesus. The goal of pursuing Jesus and training for godliness is to know Jesus more, is to strengthen the relationship. And I'll just close with an analogy. Imagine if you got married. But before, and before the marriage, you did the whole normal dating thing and engaging thing, the pursuing thing. You know, you got to know each other and love one another. You're taking, you know, I'm a guy, so I'm say, you're taking her out on dates and you were buying her flowers. Lori never liked flowers, so I, I bought her an iPod once. But you're buying her gifts and you're taking her out on dates and you're doing all those things to build the relationship. And then as soon as you get married, nothing. No dates, no gifts. You kind of go to work, you come home, you say, hey, what's for dinner? You go watch TV, they go watch TV in the other room. And like, that relationship's going to fall apart, right? And so how often is it like that in our spiritual life? We go, hey, thanks, God, thanks, thanks for the covenant. Now I'm just going to go over here and do my thing. And then you're not going to have relationship. The covenant still stands, but you're not going to have relationship. So all I'm asking is let the Holy Spirit speak to you today. Are you missing out? on something Jesus has for you just because you've become distracted? That's all I'm asking. 
Let me pray for you and then we'll worship together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your graciousness. We thank you that even if we are faithless, you are faithful, for you cannot deny yourself. But I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would, as a people, we would be a people who seek your presence, who seek to be with you, not because we're trying to earn anything, but because we desire to be filled with your spirit. We desire closeness with you. I pray that we would hear your voice. I pray that when we would seek you, you would draw near. It promises in the scripture that if we, we seek you, you draw near. And so I pray that you would draw near to us. Even today, I pray that we would hear your voice. And I pray that we would be a people that is saturated in the presence of the Lord most high. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together.